Welcome to the Pursuit of Wellbeing podcast. My name's Maria Brosnan. I'm the founder of Pursuit and your host for the show. This podcast is dedicated to providing well-being information, inspiration, and support for teachers, leaders, and school staff around the world. My guest today is Steve Carr. Steve is the founder of A Mind to Teach. He was an English and film teacher, head of faculty, and member of the senior leadership team in London and Hertfordshire schools for 20 years. He's a qualified and experienced executive coach and consultant working with teachers, senior leadership teams, and senior management in the public service. He has a master's in emotional factors of learning and teaching and a master's in organizational psychology. He founded a mind to teach in 2018 on the principle that good relationships drive great learning. Steve helps teachers understand the dynamics that underpin successful teaching and learning relationships. He offers online and on-site training and consulting, helping senior teams think about how interpersonal dynamics affect productivity. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thank you. And hello, everyone. Yeah, you're very welcome. And I really like that phrase, good relationships are the engine of great learning. Could you could you help us unpack that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, what, I mean, what comes to mind straight away was a classroom that I was in probably nearly 20 years ago now, where um, about three quarters of the way through it, having done my best to go in and teach an English lesson with all of my bluff and bravado, I was faced with a classroom that just wasn't having it. And they just weren't having it on so many levels that actually they were actively uh, rebelling against what I was trying to do. And there was a moment that, that I just thought, well, that's enough. I'm going to stop. I've had enough. I can't teach. I can't do this thing uh, as much as I try. And I literally sat down, Maria, and thought, that's it. I'm going from here to the principal's office, to my car, and I'm going home and I'm never coming back. Mm. And what happened then is I sort of just sat down and waited for the bell. And there was probably another 15, 20 minutes to go of the lesson. And what happened in front of me was that actually the class, having been chaotic when I was trying to teach, absolutely calmed down. They began teaching one another. They gathered in groups. They were talking about their lives, their brothers and sisters, other teachers in the school. They were doing a a level that was uh, respectful to one another. And the big question came to me as I was sitting, I thought, well, what what is it that I'm bringing into this room as a teacher in the relationship between me and these students that is making them resist the learning that I'm bringing to such an extent? And in a way, that was the beginning of it all, because I thought there's something happening in the interpersonal dynamics here that actually, if I understood it, um, would really change my teaching career, would really change my attitude to cheating, would make it better. I just had a feeling. And that's where it all began, really. And from there, I started thinking about, well, you know, how can I show up in a way that, first of all, shows I want to be here? How can I think about these students differently? And so the work of planning a lesson became much more about preparing to teach. And there's a difference in those two things, preparing to teach and entering into a relationship with other people 
in such a way as to open up uh, that to help them let their guard down in a way. So that's what led me to uh, study the psychology of relationships um, and just to just to think very clearly about preparing in a way the inner world uh, of the teacher for for the work that they do. Um, and I think that's um, sometimes that sounds scary. But it's actually very, very straightforward. I, you know, I spent a lot of time trying to make that very straightforward and accessible. Uh, uh, and in a way, I've got this phrase, the psychology of you and me is, is really ordinary psychology. It's not, um, it's not something that we need to fear. And once we understand it, things can really get better in the classroom. Um, so that's, that's where that all began. I hope that answers the question. It answers it beautifully. And... And you just mentioned the inner world of the teacher as yeah. a good place to start and that that could be daunting perhaps for some. Could you talk a little bit more about that, Steve? It's a fascinating notion. Yeah. So the inner world of the teacher is a very straightforward um, idea, really, because, you know, relationships um, are, of course, what we, what we do and what we say. You know, what we do and what we say to one another we create an impression, we have to give people sort of an idea of who we are. But actually within all of that, what we're actually really doing is communicating something of what's happening in our inner emotional worlds. We are trying desperately in a way to connect to somebody else. And that's what we are all driven to do. That's part of my psychology training. We want to uh, form relationships with others. It's a basic instinctive drive. Now we may be suspicious of others, we may be fearful in our initial kind of um, encounters, but actually the underpinning and the underlying drive of all of us, in my view, and from what I've uh, come to understand, is that we want love and understanding. That's what we want. Mm. So it's that that is part of our inner world as we begin life. Uh, we want love and understanding from our carers. Um, and our inner emotional life is still very much alive in the classroom. Of course it is. And it's that in a way that we're working with when we go into a, into a classroom. Now, uh, the training I do just makes that easy to think about and understand what you're dealing with in a relationship is of course what you say and do but what you say and do communicates so much of who you are um, and that's what the children will trust they'll trust who you are first first and foremost and when you talk about the psychology of you and me yeah what a, what a great phrase to can you talk more about that sure i mean the psychology of you and me is 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 just about you know, I'm, I'm driven to make a relationship with you because when the two of us come together, I want to know who you are. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the drive for me. I want to know, are you safe, first of all? And if you're safe, who are you? And then can we together learn something? That is something, that is uh, at the very basis of what I believe kind of drives us to learn. We're learning machines. We're forever learning about our environment. We're looking around us. Our senses are always, on, are always um, alert to our environments and we're incredibly alert to one another. So the psychology of you and me is what we encounter at all times, every day, all the time. But when we enter a sort of hotbed of relationships in a classroom, it's really important and we just have some idea about what's happening within that dynamic. Just a little bit. 
Because if we don't have any idea, if we go into it blind, our internal worlds will drive our behavior anyway. So a little bit of understanding of the psychology of you and me, that we're, we're born to learn, we're born to come together and make, make a relationship with one another is really helpful mm. uh, when you enter into a relationship with students. Steve, I love what you said about the inner world of teachers. And then, of course, there's going to be 30 inner worlds of your students, you know, give or take. How, if for a teacher listening to this, how do they accommodate the, the inner world of all of those other people in their room? It's a great question. And it's the question, actually, that I that started the journey in a way. So there I was in my classroom that I spoke about at the beginning of this uh, the podcast, you know, 30 children in this room and me trying to sort of think about and contain all of the 30 minds in front of me and, and failing miserably. But then noticing what they did in that room was the beginning of it. They all actually sought the, the safety and comfort of one another. You know, they, they were absolutely doing the same thing. It wasn't as though some of them decided to do something entirely different. So that was the beginning of thinking, well, there's something going on with all of these children that I'm not understanding and that they're showing me. So this was the, um, the idea of what drives us all, in a way, was the question then. So the, the psychology that I eventually came upon was the psychology of the relationship between the infant and the primary carer. So the relationship between child and the primary carer. And in that relationship, the primary carer provides that child with uh, warmth, uh, holding, and feeding. So as that child grows, that, um, those physiological needs translate or transmute, whatever, whatever word you want to use, into psychological needs. Mm -hmm. So our psychological needs become uh, the desire to be treated with kindness, uh, to be uh, held, so in the notion of being held is, is feeling safe, and in a classroom, that's the notion of that classroom feeling contained, that actually the, that, that it's a safe place for, for me to explore and open up, and to be fed. Now, fed actually translates as feeling fulfilled. You know, we talk about learning as being fulfilling, we talk about life as being fulfilling, but that in our very earliest kind of psychological um, relationship with our carer, that is a, a sense of being full up, being satiated, you know, being sated with something. So a teacher walking into a room very practically has to be thinking about, well, how can I create an environment in here that will appeal to the very basic human uh, understanding or basic human development? And that is by providing these three things, a place that is, yes, warm enough, you can put the heating on, but it's also a place where they are able to treat those children with warmth and kindness. If, if that happens, there will be a natural opening up. They'll start dealing with things that are beyond the doing. They'll, they'll sort of begin to open those children up. And the uh, same with being held. And really being held is probably the most important because we are psychologically designed to want to be safe. And we want to be safe. Actually, we, we have that in our, in our conscious minds, but really buried deep in our unconscious. And if we have a sense that a space isn't safe, we'll close down that bit of our mind that is open to complex learning and begin thinking about, well, what do I do here? Do I fight? Do I run? Do I freeze? Oh, yeah. 
and all and we know all about those things don't we yeah and if a teacher listening to this because i have um I have four siblings that were teachers and one of them, my younger brother, left teaching because he not only couldn't create that feeling of safety in his classroom for his pupils, but certainly not for himself. And and he just, I, I, I'm, you know, I, I don't know the full details of that, but thinking of a teacher like that that's feeling so intimidated perhaps even in in yeah. secondary school classes perhaps what would you say to a teacher like that who's thinking how can I possibly create a safe place yeah. where it doesn't feel safe well that's that's the link isn't it to this kind of inner lives so what we're communicating what we're taking into that room from uh, from, from our own sense of lack of safety actually is translated in a way to what happens in the room because if students have a sense that you don't feel safe in your own skin to a to a large degree then they will pick that up and, and and they will seek safety in however they can get it so if they won't if you're not in that room providing a, a sense of containment or helping them uh, feel contained they will look for that elsewhere so now your question is what can those teachers do who feel as though they are you know they don't feel possibly they don't feel safe themselves well that's that's really part of the work that i'm doing you know currently i don't think I, I think schools have a lot to learn about helping teachers feel safe and just accepting that there is an emotional exchange that is, can be very challenging in a classroom and how do we actually um, work with that as a reality for everyone. Now, some will be more fearful than others. Lots of teachers are very natural in the classroom and they, they do all of these things very naturally. Fantastic, lucky them. I was never like that, I had to learn it. Um, and, I, and I had to learn and I think in a way that was very, that made me a better teacher because actually my vulnerability and sensitivity allowed me to really connect with a lot of those students in the room who were also feeling vulnerable and sensitive. And I had a great deal of success with those students. So I'm sad about your brother because it sounds like he would, be, he would have made a, a very, very good teacher mm -hmm. um, if he could have found some mechanisms whereby just to really a find support uh, is very hard to do on your own. Yeah. Can you share that with somebody? Is there a per, is there a performance manager who is sensitive to that? Can we train performance managers to be more sensitive to the the notions of the emotional exchange in the room? And can we make that part of the teaching profession? So that that would be a big question uh, mm. for me too. So the other thing though one can do for oneself and what I found an awful lot of uh, a lot of power in were things like journaling so just write down what are you what are you fearful of what is it what is it what's going on that actually what do you believe what are you making up what are your what, what's that fear thing in you making up about the students around you you might be making up all sorts of things about you know, they're out to get me, they don't like me, they, uh, they're not going to listen to me. And you can get into all sorts of negative self-talk uh, around things that actually, when you write them down, you're able to distance yourself from them and just rationalise how true they are. Even share that list with somebody else. This is what I'm thinking and feeling. How, how true is that? How is this class with you? How are these students when you teach them? 
that's a that's one way of 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 doing it and another way is is to when you prepare just prepare well i suppose prepare your classes in such a way as to that you're interested in what you're teaching one of the biggest and straight most straightforward things that any teacher knows but that i probably had to learn was that nobody will be interested in anything you're not interested in so go into that room really wanting as though you've got a really important message you've got an important message that you want to to tell those students and if you've got an important message for anyone you go i've got a message for you look here it is they will go well what's tell us what's the message what is it because there is a there is a um, a real desire to to listen and communicate with one another it's just really holding on to that as a truth and one of the things we love about each other is we love it when we see somebody else's passion somebody else really kind of saying this is really important um that that can really help but you have to fall in love with what you're teaching if you expect other people to to listen to you i think as well i think that's important and even uh, even if you only do that on a lesson by lesson basis it's very important to do it because nobody will be interested in what you're not interested in and steve if you found that when you teach people these skills teach teachers these skills yeah. that the relationship quite naturally starts to change with their with their students you have to get behind it yes it does it it, it absolutely does it can it can transform not only their relationship with their students which is very important of course it can transform their relationship with themselves in the profession so they can begin thinking about well what do it it creates space for them to think well okay i get that i get what i'm doing now this is what i'm doing for all of these children I'm going in i'm providing these three things warmth um safety and i'm giving them something that i think is fulfilling for them and i'm preparing that in a good way okay that's what i'm that's my trajectory that's what i'm trying to do when that starts to be successful it creates space then for teachers to think well okay so now what do i want to do so you were able i was able uh, to then begin thinking about my career choices what do i want to do next how do i want to bring this to to more people how can i really expand this very simple formula into other areas so uh, yes yes is the answer and you have to get behind it it's not just a piece of sort of theoretical psychology that you visit on the students it's something where you have to enter into a relationship with those students and engage with some of your own inner insecurities and vulnerabilities in order to do that and how do you advise people to approach that because i think that's the journey of our lifetime isn't it our uh, exploring our inner world yeah and you know you gave a really good example of journaling but are there other ways that people can start to explore their inner world in a safe way especially at this time you know because i think people are feeling a lot of anxiety increased uh, uncertainty and it can be our inner worlds can be uncomfortable at times yeah no i agree entirely but i think you know the inner world is not such a you know even as we speak i'm getting a, a an image of sort of deep space and in a way it is deep space on one yeah. on the one hand but on the other hand you know i run these circles called stress express circles for teachers 
And all they are really are what's bothering you, what's going on, what, what's happening in your emotional landscape. Just say it, just say what's happening to this, to this group. No one's going to say anything. No one's going to judge you. No one's going to um, offer you any feedback or advice. But the moment you speak what's going on in your mind, you speak it out loud, it, you make it safe. So on a very straightforward level, just making you, you can make yourself feel safer if you say what you're thinking and feeling in the, and have that witnessed by other people in, in, in you know, safe circles. I think they are one of the ways forward for schools, for, you know, for, uh, for society in a way, but for, certainly in education environments. So the moment you do that, you make your inner world a safer place because it's witnessed. It's no longer intimidating for you to have these ideas that things are, uh, are not going to go well for you or that things aren't working for you because actually somebody else may say exactly the same thing. And then you go, oh, thank God. I thought it was just me who was feeling that thing. And the moment we're driven to connect, so the moment you connect, you connect then to a kind of a life force that goes, oh, wow, yeah, okay, I'm all right. So this, this kind of predilection to seek safety is always there. So the moment, but the moment you connect to somebody else and somebody else's energy and, and, or the energy of a group, you create a space for you to begin thinking about what you want next or what you're going to do with it. I don't want teachers to think about all of their inner worlds and, and, and you know, travel to deep space before they go into a, a classroom, but some clarity around the emotional state that you're in and what you're taking with you is a, just a really great start. Where is your lesson beginning for you emotionally? Are, are you in a good space? How can you get yourself there? Will journaling help? Can you talk to somebody about how you're feeling? Can you actually be more open and honest with yourself so that you'll encourage openness and honesty in somebody else? Mm. I noticed some questions on your website. There were, there were four key questions. Could I, could I ask you to explain those? So the, the questions are, who says you're in charge? Yeah. What are you taking charge of in a classroom or team meeting? What do your pupils or followers want from you? And what models of authority have you experienced that help or hinder you uh, as you take up your role as the authority figure? These questions are so powerful. Yeah. Well, again, it goes back to uh, it goes back to both my own experience and a lot of the, a lot of time I spent um, observing, coaching, mentoring uh, teachers, newly qualified teachers, and teachers who've been teaching for a long time. There's an expectation sometimes when a teacher goes into a classroom that somehow pupils just will and should listen to them. They have a notion, they have an idea that I'm going in here and I'm the teacher. And because I'm the teacher and I'm the grown-up, these children will and, will and should listen to me. But actually, children won't do what they should and should do. Uh, they may in some environments, and you're very lucky if you're teaching those environments. But I'm from a state school background. And you have to go into those rooms and you have to say something. You have to communicate with those children in a way that makes a difference to them. And if you go in, and a lot of those children will have issues with authority figures that actually they will project or throw onto you. So what, will you, what do you do then, then, when actually out of 30 children, six aren't listening to you, won't listen to you, and actually are turning the rest of the class into a class where nobody is listening to you. 
And that's very difficult to navigate as a grown-up. Well, of any age, actually, of any age, particularly the older you get in teaching, that becomes harder, I think. Mm. Um, but particularly for newly qualified teachers, and it can be the beginning and end of their careers, if they don't actually get the idea that authority is really showing, as far as you can, who you are, but doing that in such a way as to create a safe space, uh, taking charge of the space. It, it's what I've, what I've said before, you know, your, your authority is given to you. Yes, it comes from above. You've been, you're, you're a teacher according to the school. It comes from uh, below. Sometimes the kids in the room will say you're the authority, but some of it also comes from within. You know, where is the where is your own authenticator of your own authority where's the person in you that says actually yes i have the skills i have the experience i have the know-how to take charge of this at this classroom so where does our authority come from well it comes from all of those three areas and if you don't really understand where your authority comes from you'll spend a lot of time uh, just thinking, well, why aren't I should be an authority? I have an expectation. What is going wrong? And you'll use all sorts of things like the behaviour policy to try to <laughs> kind of get the kids to do what you're trying to get them to. But those children are waiting, in a way, for an authentic communication from you that says, "I know what's best for us in here, and I'm going to make sure that the rules that we have in this room are really about pointing." the activities that we do here into what's best for everyone and the moment you start thinking that way things begin to change and it's not just thinking it's kind of acting and taking uh, yourself into that room wanting to do that because that's what you're there for that's the why of your job in a way mm. Mm. i feel like i've been talking for a long time <laughs> <laughs> it's making a lot of sense. Yeah. Good, good, well, it good. feels like it's probably quite a natural time for us to wrap up. Steve, do you have any final comments or advice for people as we're coming back into schools full time these coming weeks? Uh, what would you say to somebody listening to this podcast to help them approach that? Uh, I would say, first of all, thank you for the work you're doing. Fantastic. And how wonderful uh, that there are um, people who have devoted their time to teaching. But the other thing I would say is find find support wherever you can. You are dealing with uncertainty. You are dealing with things that aren't, you're dealing with the ship at the moment that is, is, is unsteady. So in, in a way, you are going to need support of other people. Open up, talk about the reality of what's happening for you. Um, my worry about what's happening, what might happen is we may just try to run back and and just try to sort of behave as though none of this ever happened. And that, there, are, there are advantages in that, of course, but I think what teachers need is just to have some sense that they can find support now more than any, at any other time from one another, peer support, support from uh, within their school structures, uh, just around this notion of uncertainty. Now, uncertainty can be really, is part of the fear spectrum, and it can be really undermining. But the other piece is we have a fantastic opportunity right now to just open up and be honest about how we are and how we feel and what we need, what we need from the system to help us to do this work of emotional connection in a good way. So anything that, that helps that, support groups, um, 
ask your friend, write down what you're feeling, share it with others. Let's make that part of the exchange really simple, ordinary human way. Thank you, Steve. What a great place to, to wrap up. Um, I've been speaking with Steve Carr. You can connect with Steve via email at steve at amindtoteach.com. His website is amindtoteach.com, unsurprisingly, and he's got some lovely free resources on there uh, called Evolving to a New Normal, Three Lessons on Being Clear About Uncertainty, which speaks really beautifully to what you were just talking about, Steve. And you can find Steve on LinkedIn as well at Steve Carr with two R's. And you also mentioned Steve's stress circles. Can people find out? Where can they find out more information about your stress circles? Thank you, Maria. On the first page, on the front page, of my website if you scroll down to the bottom uh, you can sign up to uh, they're called stress expressed uh, and they are just simply teachers um, in a in a virtual circle on zoom uh, i facilitate them and we just uh, go around the circle and people th- just talk about what's going on for them it doesn't have to be heavy it can be your triumphs can be your trials can be anything and it's really f- formatted in a safe and structured way so um yeah, you're welcome to them. Have a look, as I say on the front page of the website, Stress Expressed. Thank you, Steve. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening. Now check out our website, pursuitwellbeing.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And if you feel inspired, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. I love getting your feedback and learning how we can improve our program.